Let's pray together. And ring together. Our Father, we come before you grateful for who you are. And uh, as the deer pants for the water, Lord, let that be the cry of our heart, that, that we cry out for you. A God who, who hears us. God, but we ask that we be a people who hear their God. So Lord, now as we turn to your word, may we hear you. God, help us, focus us, give us our attention upon you. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. amen. All right, I had a, did an exercise last night, and I wonder if you could do the same. Can you name your kindergarten through fifth grade teachers? <laughs> Homeschoolers, that's a little bit easier. I know, I know. But can you name, all right, you got it? I, I went through it last night. I had to name them all. You, you look perplexed. Can you do it? Anyway? All right. Uh, this may vary depending on your age. It may be harder if you're over the age of 40 because that was a long time ago. And you have to remember everything else in between them. But I can remember the first day being dropped off in my kindergarten classroom. Anybody else remember your first day of kindergarten or first grade, whatever it was at the time? And uh, I can remember getting my name written on the board and getting check marks next to it for not being good. If you got two check marks, you were to the principal's office, I think. Teachers play a valuable role in our life, and, and some of you, that is your vocation or was. Some of you, that is today. Teachers are a valuable role in our lives, and teachers are those that make a great influence over us and uh, our culture and our society does not value teachers as we should because teachers are those who make a, an, a formative and valuable influence over us in our growing years. And, and this is something extremely important for us to understand the, the value and the shaping that teachers have on us. In fact, it's one of the great or the ways in our culture that we see a war being uh, or a battle being played out is in our education system. What are our kids learning? How are they learning it? What are they doing with it? But it's not just elementary school, middle school, or high school. Uh, it is also in the church where we have teachers. And how many of you would say that a teacher has helped form or shape your spiritual life? And you can name somebody you were sharing with me this week, Granny. Folks who have helped shape you and fashion you according to God's word. Here's the question that I want to ask each of you. More important, can you name your kindergarten to fifth grade? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you listening when, when teaching comes your way? Are you making modifications to your lives as you learn spiritual truths? Are you teachable? And as I ask you that question, I say not from me. I say from the Spirit of God, who is our helper, who is our teacher. 
And what does he do? He gives us God's word. That's the material. That's the textbook. That's what we learn. This morning, I know our screen is out and our apologies. We're working on it. You have in front of you a Bible that's read in the pew back. You have a phone. You have a tablet. However you need it. Pull it out. We're going to walk through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this morning. Now, this is Jesus' group of, of teachings pushed into one three-chapter segment in the book of Matthew. Now, I covered some of this on Thursday night. I'm not going to recover that. If you want the first uh, three-quarters of chapter 5, you can go on our Facebook page. It's there for Matthew 5. But this morning, we're going to start in Matthew 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43. And we're going to walk through teachings, teachings of Jesus. And I'm praying and hoping that you will listen to the Spirit of God who is your teacher within you and hear the words of Jesus that you'll make those modifications and that you'll learn from the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of this earth. His name is what church? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Let's begin Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For as he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and as he sends his blessing of rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, the godless, do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect or complete, teleo, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is calling the standard higher. And as I talked through this years ago when we went through Matthew, he's raising the bar. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said this, but I tell you the bar is much higher than what you think it is. And as the judge comes to judge those who are living, you and me, in our deeds every day, he's not just judging at a low standard of what did you do. And he is judging there. But the standard is even higher to what did you do and why did you do it? And what is your thought life like? The question I want to, want to, uh, the, the, Examination I'd like to place before you this morning is, where am I more than just my deeds? Now, I'm not discounting deeds in any way, but there is more. And Jesus' teachings center around the more of, of what life is. It's where you are spiritually. It's where you are mentally. It's what you're thinking about. It's the motivation behind what you do. And so he brings us to a place to say, look... It's not just love the people that are nice to you. Everybody does that. Jesus says that's the easy part. The hard part is dealing with people who are not so nice to us. Right? And this is where Christianity makes its inroads is when people are not kind. When people call us names, call you a name or they... Or maybe they, they pass you over for positions at work because of who you are. 
whatever it may be. This is the call to pray for people. And this gets really close. It may be someone living with you or someone who you used to live with or be married to. God has called us. Jesus' teaching is to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute. And, And here's the question. Why? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? What is our motive? Why would we want to be kind to people and pray for people who are our enemies, who are being mean to us? Why would we want to do that? And the answer is, it's right here in the scripture. Do you see his reasoning? Four, verse 46, even verse 45. This is good. Y'all using those Bibles in front of you. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. For he sends his blessing of rain upon the just and the unjust. Why do we want to be kind? Why do we want to pray for those who persecute us? And the answer is what? Because he does it. And we want to be, at the end of the passage, we want to be perfect. We want to be mature as God is mature, complete, perfect. Our standard oftentimes, y'all, is we look around and we say, as long as I'm better than her, then I'm in good shape. If I can do it better than than Miss Fleeta, then I'm going to be good. If if I can do it, if I can be just on par with Miss Gail and how she does it, then I'm going to be all right. But that's, Jesus says, no, your standard is not looking around, it's looking up. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, so there you go. There's the standard. And some of you, the, probably the, the half, half, glass half empty folks are like, well, I can't be perfect. Why does it matter? Well, it doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean we don't make the effort to be obedient to what God has called us to do. To be mature in our faith. And to love those who are not so lovable we we got to hug that porcupine every now and then right all right we're going to keep going we're going to try to make it through as much of this as we can this is such a good teaching i'm just throwing as much as i can at you i hope some of it will stick to you and hit you where you are today chapter six giving to the needy beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be what are y'all reading in order to be seen by them you see it For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. No reward. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in what? In secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is very practical for our giving. It's that we don't do giving as a show. And that seems pretty obvious if you've been around church for a while. You know that, look, it's not for our glory that we're giving or helping people. We don't broadcast our good deeds. That's what self-centered, arrogant People would do, right? We don't broadcast our good deeds. Now, does that mean we have to hide every good thing we do? I, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. But what he is saying is we don't do it so that we might be seen by others. 
We don't do things for the glory of people saying, what a great guy that Gary is. Man, what a, do you see what he's doing? We don't broadcast them. We do them because we're, we want to please and honor God, not the people around us. And that's going to be one of these ongoing things is why are we doing these things? Are we doing them so that, so that Jeremiah sees me? shouldn't matter what Jeremiah sees. I'm doing it because I'm trying to please my God in heaven. So much so, look what he says later. He says, if you're going to give and you're giving to them, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Even the internal glory we give ourselves, he says, that's a problem, isn't it? Because what can we do when we go and cut somebody's grass for them? And say, oh, don't worry about it. I'm just doing this to be kind. What happens to us? Yeah, I'm the grass man. Yeah. I got this. And we begin to think more of ourselves. We make up funny names for ourselves like the grass man. And that turns into a pride and arrogance. He says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just do honorable, good things. Give, help. Do it for God. Let's keep going. Talk about prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know what, you know what the word hypocrite meant in Jesus' day? I've told some of you before. You know what a hypocrite is? You want to know? It's an actor. The, the actors were hypocrites. So when they would have a play, they would put a mask on and they would act like whoever, Greek plays that they had, the Iliad. They would act the play out. That, that's, that's what a hypocrite was. So when he's talking about the Pharisees, he's saying, look, those are the, the hypocrites. These people who would stand on the street corners and pray loud prayers. Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Thank you for making me a great grass man, great helper. I've died to do all these things. Look at me. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Verse 5. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they what? Y'all got your Bible open? That they may be seen by others. Verse 5. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward oh you want to be seen by others well then that's your reward you can have it verse six but when you pray go into your room shut the door pray to your father in secret your prayers are not for those around you they're not for your vain glory who are your prayers for they are for god does that mean we cannot pray or should not pray in public well, it depends, because <laughs> I prayed this morning in public, leading in worship, leading in prayer. I can tell you my heart was not leading in prayer so that you guys would say, what a great prayer Keith is. So if our heart is right and we're in the right place and God has called us to lead in prayer or to pray as a family together, to pray before a meal, to pray at our devotion time in the evening or whatever it may be in the morning. That's not wrong. 
unless you're doing it for to be seen by others. And, and that's his point here. And your father who sees in secret, the end of verse 6, will reward you. Prayer is something that God rewards you for. I can let you figure that one out. But God rewards those who pray to him. How does he do that? He responds to our prayers. He hears them. Prayer is for God. It's not for others to see. Prayer is to change us. We talked about this Wednesday morning with our ladies. But prayer is not for others to see. All right. Verse verse 7. And when you pray, here's some more direction. Look, this is Jesus' teaching. Such good. When you pray, don't heap, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I was asked Wednesday, is it wrong to pray written prayers or memorized prayers? Is it wrong to pray memorized, written out? Maybe somebody else even wrote the prayer. Is that wrong to do? I can remember when I was a kid, I would get in bed, and this is when I was elementary school, maybe middle school. I had the same prayer. When I hit the bed, every night, I would pray the same prayer. Anybody else do that when you were young? You had the same prayer? Am I, okay, just a couple of I prayed the same prayer every night. And I can, I can quote that, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the good things you've given to me. Or help me to do your will tomorrow or something like that. I, I forgot. It was too long ago. But I remember how it started. I prayed the same prayer. Was that wrong of me? That was a difficult question, isn't it? Here's what I told the person that asked me. I said, Is, are praying the same words or prayers of the right wrong? And I said, no. I said, no. In fact, uh, I bet many of you have gone to the Psalms at some point, read a psalm, and prayed it as your own. I hope you have, at least. Those were not your words. Go to Psalm 40 when you're in despair. Go to Psalm 34. Go to Psalm 90. You go to these psalms and you say, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord God in heaven, Psalm 150. You want to praise God. You go to these and you read them. It can't be wrong. I hope it's not. But... What does Jesus say? He says, don't heap up what phrases? Y'all got your Bible. Somebody help me out. He says, don't heap up some kind of phrases. What kind of phrases are they? Empty phrases. Now, now I can say words that I don't mean. And what are those words? Those are empty words, aren't they? If I'm just saying words for the sake of saying words or for the sake of having many words, like he says here, that, that can be wrong. What Jesus is getting at is we want sincere prayers. And if that prayer that you write out, that prayer you memorize, if that is sincerely from your heart and full of weight, I don't believe those are empty words. I believe those are heart-filled words. And the challenge for you is that your prayers not become rote, not become habitual, and not become something to finish but that they are a reflection of your spirit and your
your heart. Our prayers are to be filled by the Spirit. Let me give you Ephesians 6.18. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Praying at all times in the Spirit, Paul says, with all prayers and supplications. Praying at all times in the Spirit. If our prayers are in the Spirit, they're not just something we're finishing, but they're something that's coming from the Spirit deep in us, urged by God's Holy Spirit, motivated, moved. We read Romans 8 in our Sunday school class this morning that there are sometimes it's, it's groanings too deep for words. Crying out to God from our spirit. And then he goes into, into an example. Y'all know this is the model prayer. Some say the Lord's Prayer, whatever you call it. Is it wrong to repeat the Lord's Prayer? I sure hope not. But this is a model. This is something that, that is meant to give us a framework of what our prayers look like. Let me read it to you. And let me give you some, some uh, understanding. My thoughts on it. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In fact, why don't y'all read it with me? Do y'all know it? Hopefully you have a Bible near you or next to you. Don't have it on the screen. But you can say it in your own translation. That's not going to bother me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some add of other translations for thine is the and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's called the doxology. It's not in most newer translations uh, because I believe it was added later, about the 7th century, most people believe. But, but here's um, what is this prayer about? It's not just repeating words. And so if, if I can share with you anything about prayer, it's not repeating words. What does he do? He praises God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's praise. The framework for prayer Jesus teaches us is to praise God to begin your prayers. Why? Because it helps us to recognize that he is greater than we are. And that's why we pray. We don't pray just to finish prayers. We pray because we're asking God for help. And he's the one that can help us, right? Oh God, we praise your name. We call for God's kingdom to come. Do you know the first request in the Lord's prayer is God may your kingdom Come here on earth. Let me ask you this. If you're not using the model prayer, do you ever pray? Praise you, Lord. May your kingdom be made known and manifest here in me and in my family and in my church. Is that one of your prayers? If not, maybe you need to come back to this model prayer that the Lord has given us and and say, maybe my prayers need a little little, uh, direction. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is that, if you don't, and I'll say this, hear my heart on this. If you are not praying, God, may your will be done in every one of your prayer sessions, you have missed the point of prayer. Hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to be ugly. But prayer is praying for God's will to be done. It's not trying to boss God around, right? 
We're praying, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Then he, he recognizes God is the God who provides. Give us our daily bread. He recognizes God is the God. You are a God who forgives. He's calling out character traits of God. Do you call out character traits for God in your prayer? The model prayer does it for us. God, help us to be forgivers because you are a forgiver. Help us to be givers like you're a giver. And this model here is, we're seeing it through Jesus' teaching. Help us to be like you, God. Don't lead us into temptation. Lord, help us to deal with our temptation, our weaknesses. God, we don't want to defame or to discredit who you are. Y'all, I pray as a pastor regularly. Lord, guard me from temptation. I want y'all to pray for me. The last thing I want to do is discredit my God. And this position I am in is a, a position where if I fail you morally, if I fail God morally, I have discredited and brought shame yes. to the name of God. Yes. May it never be. Lord, help me deal with my temptation. Prayer, y'all. Jesus taught us to pray. Are we praying like Jesus taught us to pray? Or are we praying like we grew up? Or like our family member or our church leader taught us? We need to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. All right, verse 16. Y'all still with me? Let's go. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces. Their fasting may be seen. Here's the theme again, by others. Those hypocrites, they're, act, they're really, truly actors. <laughs> they're acting for people. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face. Some of y'all need to wash your face regularly anyway, just saying. <laughs> that your fasting may, be, uh, may not be seen by others. But who needs to see our fasting? There it is. You see it? Our Father who is in secret. And your Father sees in secret will reward you. Once again, reward. God rewards those disciplines that we give to Him. Christian fasting is about a sacrifice that you give to God. It is not about talking to people about it or anybody knowing it. It's not about proclaiming your service work to God. It is sacrifice. That's what it is. It's between you and God. There's no need for anyone to even know what you're doing. It's between you and the Lord. And it is a sacrifice that you give to God. If you're not a part of a spiritual discipline of prayer, fasting, and giving, these three things mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, study them, uh, investigate them. Three disciplines Jesus specifically gave us in order to serve God. Prayer, fasting, giving. They're for God, though. They're not for you. All right, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, so we have a negative, don't lay something up here. And then we have a positive, but do lay up something here. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moss nor rust 
destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's inverting the teaching here. You see it? The do's are the don'ts and the don'ts are the do's. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question for us as we hear Jesus teach and those who heard him on that mountain where he got up and he began to teach is this, is what is your treasure? What are things that you treasure? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I would, I would guess that everybody in this room has some sort of treasure, something you love. Right? Uh, my family and I, we went to the football game last night. I really enjoy football. I enjoy watching. I enjoy following college football. Me and Eli get to talk about it. Nate, the guys in my family, Abby, we, we love talking about football. Titus, man, we love it. We enjoy it. We watch a game, talk about it. Something we love. Some of you love fishing. Man, just let me catch that fish. It's where I'm at home. When I'm on the water, that's, man, I just feel peace. Some of you love Facebook. I love learning about people. What's somebody eating? And it was a picture of their pizza. Whatever is out there. I don't know. I love that. I just love experiencing what other people are doing. There, there are things that tug at our heart every day. They do. And I don't think that's wrong. I, I, I do not. I love when people fish. Or hunt or, or play a sport, whatever happened. Get on Facebook, whatever. Those are good things. God has given us those things as gifts to enjoy our life. Some of us enjoy job, learning. However, what Jesus says is do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It is a command to lay up treasures in heaven. So where is the, our investment going? Where is our great, our heart? And this is where the things that are around us can distract us from doing things that really matter. We're going to have a baptism today. Where are you, Lily? There you are. Lily is giving her life to Jesus To serve him, to love him, and to follow him the rest of your days. Right? Praise the Lord. Now, Lily, you may also uh, sing, dance, or have some other thing you want to do. But if those things that you like to do take the, the priority over of what Jesus is in your life, that's when the problem comes in. And so, Lily, I want to give to you specifically this passage this morning. That there are temptations for other things in your life to become a treasure in your life. To become something that means more to you than the investment into the kingdom of God. You know what I'm talking about? There are things that can, your family could mean more to you than Jesus. And then Jesus says something like, unless you, uh, unless you're, you abandon what your mother and father or sister and brother have for you, you have no part of the kingdom of God. If they are trying to keep you, and your family's not, praise God. But the idea is even good things that are given to us can be a hindrance in the kingdom of God. And so, y'all, I, this is for you, Lily, is for me. How many of y'all know the two prayer requests that I give whenever people say, how can I pray for you? I have two of them. 
How many of you know? I know Stephen knows them. Nate knows them. What are the, my two prayer requests? I'm going to give them to you today. If you, don't, if you want to know how to pray for me, here's the two things that I'm giving you. And they both start with F. Not because I'm a failure, I hope. But they start with F. One is what, Stephen? Focus. And one is what? Yeah. So focus is what I'm going to focus on this morning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. I can get distracted just like y'all can. And my, I begin to lay up treasures and invest too much time in things that don't matter. What's your focus? Where's your heart? Because what Jesus said is for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Guard your focus. Guard your focus. Lily, guard your focus. As you are publicly presenting yourself as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to guard your focus, your treasure. And, And this is where the next verses come in. So let me read this to you as an encouragement. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or if your eye doesn't work, this is hard for us to comprehend. And I'll I'll explain why. Uh, This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us as we read it in our culture today. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Speaking of where our treasure is, it's because where our focus is, that's what we begin to treasure and invest into. And and what he's saying is if, if your eye, if your focus is on what is good and on the kingdom of God, you're going to do kingdom things. If your focus is on the things around you, you're, you're going to use them and, and begin to waste your time in things that moth and rust will destroy. Can you use your fishing habit to take somebody and have gospel conversations or build relationship with folks and point them to Jesus? Can you use that Facebook mechanism to encourage people in their faith? What we begin to find is that what Jesus brings to us is where our focus, where our time and effort is. If we enjoy things, point them to the kingdom. And don't just waste our effort and time in those things. All right, I'm going to keep going. We talked about this one Wednesday night at length, but I'm going to read it to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink nor about your body or what you will put on, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Y'all, don't worry. God got this. God's got it. That's the message Jesus has given to us. God has it. He feeds the birds. He clothes the, the grass. Do you think how much more he cares for you that he's not going to care for you? That he doesn't know of that deadline or that relationship problem or whatever, what have you that's bothering you today? 
God's got it. That's why we begin our, our prayers with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're bigger than all of this, and, and I don't have to worry about it. Lord, I'm, I'm giving it to you. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about the clothing? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and how... And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows And he loves. That should be enough for us. And he gives us the antidote, if you will, for worry. So let me talk to you this morning. If you come into this room anxious, concerned, if you are going through a season of anxiety, the world gives you lots of coping mechanisms. And as we shared Wednesday night, some of those coping mechanisms are in your purse right now. But what God has given us, specifically, is a command to know that God cares and know that He's able. And that the bigger picture of all of this, verse 33, says this, but do this, don't be anxious, But do this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Alright, so this this is where we'll we'll end today. Sadly. Oh, sadly. If you are a teachable spirit, I want you to hear this right now. Talk about being teachable. Here it is. Your focus, when it's on things of this world, the byproduct becomes anxiety. I'll pray for Lily. She's going, getting ready. The focus in this world, when it is on the things of this world, your, your byproduct is anxiety. Y'all hear it? Because things won't work out just right or, or things won't be ju- just like they need to be. And you can think of a, uh, a, athletically, let's say uh, you, you run the fastest race you've ever run. What is it that you want to do next? You want to run just a little bit faster, right? You, you get a job with, with a great job and what, what comes shortly after that great job or you get a raise and, and you're happy about it. And then how much more do you need? They asked, uh, I don't remember who they asked, somebody really, really rich. How much is enough money? And what did he answer? Just a little bit more. When we, when we focus on the things of this world, that anxiety comes because it's never enough. When you're scrolling on your phone, when, when is it enough? When do you stop? Well, maybe it's just one more. Maybe it's just, Oh, wait, wait. 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Oh, that's so funny. Let me get another one. That, when is it enough? It's not. Because some of y'all are going to scroll even more today. I bet you. But Jesus comes back, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and seek first him, his righteousness, the righteous character of God. So seek to invest into kingdom things like our trunk or treat. Y'all see this dog? Yep. Trunk or treat. Fall outreach. We're going to be seeking to expand the kingdom of God and share the message of Jesus Christ. Save sinners that repent. And then seek God himself, his righteousness. So Christian, here's your application today. Here it is. Look up. Look up. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the Father himself. And all of the things around you, Jesus said, will be added to you. And I'm not saying neglect your duties, neglect your responsibilities. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we don't have unhealthy anxiety about the things around us. We do what God has for us to do. We're faithful. We do the work. But we seek God in doing those. Look up. Christian, look up. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer. I want to give you that same advice. To look up. And in this sense. If you don't know the Lord Jesus. If you are in your sin. If you've never said. Lord I, I hum, I'm, I've humbled myself before you. And I'm giving up the authority of my own life. And I'm giving authority of my life to you. I'm believing in you. That you came and lived the perfect life. I believe that you came. And that you died on the cross. For sinners such as me. I believe that you were buried and rose again. If you've never been down that road of confessing faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And if you've never said, and I'm giving you my life to follow you as you've commanded. Come follow me. I'm taking your yoke upon me. I'm going to be a follower. If you've never done that. Look up. Look up to Jesus Christ on the cross. Bow your head before him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Because let me give you what the scripture also says. For those who are not in Christ, God's wrath remains upon you. John 3.36 makes it very clear that those who do not obey Christ, the wrath of God remains on them. And his wrath is a swift, his wrath is eternal. And his wrath is eternal punishment. But he offers in that same chapter that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. What will will happen? They will have everlasting life in the Savior. Come to Jesus if you do not know him today. Lily's modeling that for us this morning. She's making a public Profession of faith that she is following Jesus Christ, the Lord. I'll close this with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your teachings this morning. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to teach us. Help us, O Lord. God, help us to be teachable, to learn from your teachings, and to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.